When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast with a little Somewhere in America, There's a Street Named After My Dad by Was Not Was. Welcome aboard to the TSL podcast, originating each and every week from the TSL offices in Blacksburg. I'm your host, Evan Hughes, pleased to be joined by a laughing Will Stewart, uh, sitting across from me and to my right, managing editor Chris Coleman. G- gentlemen, how are we doing? Oh, doing well. Some, you know, this is such a good podcast, and sometimes we actually even record it. <laughs> and that yeah. will be an inside joke. That will be. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to talk about on today's podcast, folks. We're going to break down the entirety of the Notre Dame game. What was the atmosphere like? The monument of Coach Beamer. We're going to go through the X's and O's, the breakdown, what was good for Tech, what didn't go well for the Hokies, and the 45-23 defeat against Notre Dame. We'll break down North Carolina Hokies on the road going to Tar Heel country this weekend. We'll talk about the game. Coach Fuente 2-0 against UNC in his career at Virginia Tech. Plus, we'll get to your questions a little bit later in the podcast. Of course, each and every TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So we love the Fisher Law Firm. We love the Fisher Law Firm. And they have either defended 15,000 people or 7,500 people twice, or somewhere in between. (laughs) I'll ask Jonathan and find out. At, at any rate, they have defended a lot of people. All right, guys, let's dive right into it because we've got a lot to talk about in the next 60 minutes. 45-23, the final score. Notre Dame, Virginia Tech on a national stage with Chris Fowler, Kirk Curbstreet, Maria Taylor, ESPN in the house, Enter Sandman rocking. Hokies really executed and performed well in the first half, but unfortunately just not enough to overcome the sixth-ranked team in the country. Yeah, they mentally lost the game they didn't physically lose it you know if you go back and look at it you can't sit here and say that uh notre dame's wide receivers were bigger and more talented than damon hazelton or that ian book is more talented than ryan willis or or anything like that i mean virginia tech outgained notre dame uh they were very good on third downs um from a physical standpoint that, that was seemed like a pretty even matchup for the most part um, but it was the mental aspects of the game where a more experienced Notre Dame team had the clear advantage, in my opinion. So a thought I had, um, I really, you know, and I don't mean this as an insult and don't want any, I doubt any Notre Dame fans are listening and I don't want them to get fired up, but I just didn't think Ian Book was all that. Um, you know, he'd been touted as a guy who completely transformed the uh, Notre Dame offense. Um, and, yes, the numbers back that up. But I thought he missed a lot of wide-open receivers. I did not think he made – I'd seen some really good plays on, on highlight films of him. I didn't think he made any really exceptional plays. I did, there was nothing where I went, wow, that was a great play. You know. Yeah, but I saw his final stat line. I was actually surprised of how good his numbers were because – and we'll get to it in a minute. So many people are talking about the missed opportunities for Virginia Tech, but Ian Book had five or six wide-open targets that he overthrew in that game. Yeah, uh, Tyrone Nix uh, – uh, Virginia Tech's uh, safeties coach said he thought that uh, Tyree Rogers played really well 
And I thought to me, when, when, when Tyrone said that, I thought, oh, I remember a couple of times where he was beat badly, you know, and it, it didn't wind up being a completion for, for Notre Dame because Book overthrew it. I think Tyrone Nix was saying relatively speaking. <laughs> uh, now, let me, let, me, let me be fair. I thought Tyree defended the run very well. He did. Some great open field tackles. I think basically what Tyrone Nix was saying is for the third string free safety playing in his first game, basically, he did a really good job, which he did. For, for somebody with, with that with that background. And keep in mind, a lot of people didn't realize that Divine Diablo would not play. You look at the two games he hasn't played. Old Dominion to Notre oh. Dame. And for someone a year ago that was transitioning from receiver to defensive back, you could now make the argument that he is the most valuable player on Tech's defense. Yeah. I think at the beginning of the year we all would have said Ricky Walker. But that was before... You know, we learned out that Devin Hunter wasn't going to start at whip and that Claude Ladler was going to have to start at that position, so Ladler wouldn't be available to play free safety. But even when he did play, play free safety this year, he didn't have a good game. Though, to be fair, he played well there last year. Um, but obviously, Diablo was a guy who was splitting time at the beginning of last season with Terrell Edmonds, and Edmonds went on to be a first-round pick, right? So I think Diablo's got a lot of talent. He's a tall guy can really run he tackles well in space is the thing i really like about him um so he's a so anytime you lose a guy like that i think it's a big loss because there just aren't aren't that many of those guys to go around unless you're one of the elites like like in ohio state or in alabama so you got to ask yourself how, how much prep time time did tyree rogers really have you know because we don't know at what point in the week yeah divine diablo was ruled out and keep in mind, they tried, they, they warmed him up, and then they made the decision they couldn't go. So he tried yeah. on Saturday. So, so how much did they really practice? And, and I guess nobody asked this the other day in, in the media session. Probably right? not. Well, Tyree, I'm assuming since Khalil Ladler's number one at whip now, I assume Tyree's getting all the reps number two free safety. Yeah, so true. the number that's two true. defense is doing the exact same thing the number one defense does. Let's break down this game kind of by quarter by quarter, but especially uh, on the opening drive of this game. Notre Dame and Virginia Tech, first of all, uh, enter Sandman rocking. Metallica with their video message the first, the second time they've done that, the first being Coach Beamer's final home game. I mean, it was absolutely rocking, and they have a false start on their first Hey, now, down. wait a minute. Don't, 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 don't keep going. I want to talk about Metallica. Okay, go, so, ahead, go ahead. So we learn, if you follow Tech Sports long enough, you learn there's more than one Hokie Bird. There's three or four of them, so they can be all kinds of different places on the weekend. Metallica holds up the lunch pail. Is that the lunch pail? Did they ship it to them and they did their bit and they shipped it back? Or we've got have we got more than one of these lunch pails? And Ricky Walker's got one and Metallica's got the other. Question. These are the questions that plague mankind. You'll have to ask and Pete I will Morris that. <laughs> I will say if you look closely at the lunch pail that they held up it's got the same dents in it as the you real think, one look so? closely I, oh, I wouldn't be man. surprised if it's the real so one. so does virginia tech have a room over there with just a bunch of lunch pails with a dent and i'm like you go buy a lunch <laughs> pail you get your hammer bam throw it in the closet you know <laughs> they have to all be painted the same way then yeah. they have to have some guy come in and, and like hit them with a hammer all in the same place i yeah. do think the original lunch pail from the early 90s is retired though right probably isn't aren't there stories of somebody taking it with them i don't know yeah so we, we got to get this. We got to get these questions answered. That's true. Yeah. So Metallica plays their plays their message. First of all, you've got the um, and I, I think this is actually a good time to shout out the Virginia Tech marketing team. What a phenomenal job they did this past weekend with the with the monument for Coach Beamer and getting that with Hokie Village being as fantastic as always it is to the the skydivers to Metallica. I mean, they had to be worn out Sunday. <laughs> I hope they got some rest after that. Yeah, they did a good job, and, and that kind of segues into something I talked about in my Money Thoughts article this week. Uh, so I took the uh, the whole Inner Sandman production on ESPN wound up being about six minutes long, and I cut it out and I put it on YouTube. And the comments have been interesting. Uh, a lot of Hokie fans saying they loved it. Um, a lot of Notre Dame, Dame fans saying, yeah, I was there, I loved it. And then there's a few Notre Dame internet warriors who are saying things like, ah, yeah, yeah, then you went out there and lost the game. Um, I don't think, and I said this in my article, Money, I don't think ESPN cares whether or not Virginia Tech wins or loses the game. They just like the theater of it, you know. And um, So I don't, I don't think we, we have to live in fear of, well, ESPN's not going to do that anymore. Yes, they are, because I see a lot of college football, and a lot of it is just not very good atmosphere. ESPN's going to North Carolina this coming Saturday night, where there's going to be no atmosphere. Yeah, you know, and they were at Duke the, the, the week before the that. The week before, right. where there was no atmosphere. Right. 
you know, and I've noticed at some point along the line, and this was not recent, this was years ago, ESPN and ABC and everybody got a lot better at miking the crowd um, of, of properly miking a large crowd like they had the other night, but properly miking a small crowd like the one they had at Duke and making it sound like it's bigger than it actually is. You know, I'm sure they'd rather have the first one where you just got 60, 65,000 people there making all kinds of noise. So, yeah, Virginia Tech lost the football game, but it's, uh, it's good television. Absolutely. No, there's no doubt about it. And they did a great job showcasing the entertainment for Clemson last year and then Notre Dame for this year. Uh, but, again, so the environment, everybody is amped up. And I go back to what Hardywood Hokey had to write on the TSL message boards, which, by the way, that tweet blew up. I mean, yeah. that had over 300 retweets. Uh, which is a lot for us. I mean, we have, we have about 15,000 followers, but – you know, we, we typically don't get a ton of retweets and, and likes and things like that. We're because we don't we don't do a lot of rah rah stuff, you know, and that's the stuff that gets retweeted. Um, but yeah, this was a uh, post from our subscriber board. Actually, he put it on the subscriber board and the free board, and it was just kind of a call to arms, you know, asking Okie fans to show up, and make a lot of noise, and uh, I tailgated next to him uh, strictly by chance uh, the other day, and uh, he's an interesting dude. He's a young guy. And he and his wife have three-year-old triplets. Wow. Two twin boys and a girl. So I looked at him and said, dude, you're done. And he goes, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so his, I know I would be. Good gracious. <laughs> but his call to arms worked. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there in the stands going, wow, this is really a 10 out of 10, pumped up crowd, yeah. false start on the first two plays from scrimmage for Notre Dame. And they go down the field and score a touchdown. And – that was a semi punch to the gut to start the game off, right, with a touchdown. Yeah, I think uh, um, it definitely took the crowd out of the game a little bit. They were able to get back in it later. I thought the critical moment for the crowd was, you know, Virginia Tech missed some opportunities where they they missed. Well, you saw the crowd go bananas when they uh, when Grimsley threw the pass to Savoy for the touchdown that got called back. Lane Stadium was was losing its mind. I think they would have lost their mind if Reggie Floyd hadn't tripped and fallen on his interception. And I think 17-16 early in the second half, if Tech had gone down and scored, even if it's just a field goal to take the lead, I think the crowd would have doubled down and been right back in it. But they, they never quite got to build momentum at any point. Yeah, the, the biggest momentum-building moments, you know, as it turned out, didn't happen. With yeah, the illegal short circuit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with the illegal man downfield. Uh, not scoring from the one-yard line. I mean, you're at that point, you're at the top of the hill, and you're just about to go over the top of the hill, and then it's all downhill from there, right? But you just don't quite get to the top. I, that's I call that Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. Yeah, you so know, it yeah. just keeps coming back down. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so it was one of those things. I, I, I think the Tech team responded pretty well. You know, when, when you're coming out with that much adrenaline and you're playing at home in front of a crowd – and then they go right down the field and score a touchdown. And then you go three and out. And they go right back down the field and score a field goal. And it's 10 to nothing. And you're outgained in that stage. 123 to 6. 123 to 6. You're, and you, you just got smacked for about six or seven straight minutes of football. And you've been waiting all week for that moment. And, you know, it, it's not easy to, to refocus like that and get back out there and keep playing with confidence. And they, and they were able to do that. It, in the end, it was just making mental mistakes, like not filling a gap. And two guys coming up to cover someone in the flat while nobody goes with a deep receiver. Uh, just, you know, little mistakes that uh, will get corrected as time goes by. But, you know, you, you can tell that dealing with a pretty inexperienced football team right now. Give credit to the Virginia Tech defense, though, in a sense that Notre Dame didn't score after putting up 10 points from about the – seven or eight minute mark in the first quarter until the fumble scoop and score late in that second quarter probably two and a half minutes left to play they really allowed the offense to have some breathing room and get acclimated to the game and they didn't really have the, the offense wasn't kind of forced to jump start right away they had a couple of series to really get flowing and the, and that's a that's a pattern you see in Virginia Tech football over the years it, it's I don't want to use the word common but it's not rare for a Bud Foster defense to give up a quick score or two and then quickly adjust and shut down the other team for literally a couple of quarters. You know, Notre Dame didn't do anything offensively from the time they went up 10 nothing 
their next big offensive play was that 97-yard touchdown run. You know, and that, that's two quarters of work and breathing room that, that Bud gave the offense. Bud and his players gave the offense. Notre Dame ran 67 offensive plays. 64 of those plays went for 270 yards, which is 4.22 yards per play, which would rank sixth in the country in yards per play defense. Yep. It's just that the other three plays, one went 97 yards for a touchdown, and the other went like the other two went like 40 yards for a touchdown. Yeah, and then and then they had a 31-yard touchdown run at the very end. Uh, maybe the, yeah, you, yeah, that's what that's maybe that was the third one that I'm thinking about. So uh, a big chunk of their yardage came on big plays, and and that's what we've seen from the Tech defense so far this year. You know, I was looking at some advanced stats this morning while working on the North Carolina game preview, and Virginia Tech's rush defense from an advanced stance standpoint, is 10th in the country. Their opportunity rate is third. Their stuff rate is third. But their big play rate is like 125th. Um, and so big plays are really hurting this defense a lot right now, particularly in the running game. They're giving up big plays in the in the passing game too, but they're also giving up short to intermediate gains in the passing game also. <laughs> so it's, it's not this huge difference. Like Yeah, the pass defense as a whole is, is ranked is, low. Is, is ranked low, right, exactly right. Um, so – They've got to get that corrected, but you know, you, you look at it, and, and I, I get, was were we talking about last week about how I hate the phrase "next man up." Yeah, yeah. And I hate it because the next man up is a backup for a reason. Um, so yeah, you can thump your chest and everything like that, and be like, "Oh, next man up, no big deal." You know, the next man's not as good as the first man. And, and when you're being asked for ten next men up, to, right, to all at the team. same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you think about it. This Tech defense was expected to have, gosh, I don't know, six, seven, eight starters this year that they don't have either through attrition, early entries to the NFL, uh, injury, guys getting kicked off the team, you know, whatever. Um, you give me last year's secondary, and I think Tech wins that game Saturday night. Take you can have Trevon Hill, Andrew Matuapuaka. Anybody else at Virginia Tech lost last year, but if you just get me back, uh, Strowman, Faison, uh, Faison, Alexander, Mook. I mean, you give me just two or three of those guys, and Virginia Tech wins that game, in my opinion. Let me ask you this: There were multiple points in this game where big plays happened for Notre Dame. Seventeen to sixteen was the score at halftime. What was the point in the game where you knew it was going to be a little too much to overcome for Tech? I thought it was the 97-yard yeah. touchdown run because Tech had had chance after chance after chance to to take control of this game and and take the lead. I don't I, I don't want to say take control because they had control of the game. I just said they had control of the game for two full quarters almost. Uh, but you you kept I felt like they were just letting too many opportunities pass by. So was Notre Dame. Ian Book was missing some receivers. And at some point, one of those teams was going to have a breakthrough, and that was going to kind of turn the tide. That was my thing, and I don't know what the guys down on the field think. And when you saw that 97-yard touchdown run that put them up by eight points, it was just a different ball game after that. Yeah, it takes the wind out of yourselves knowing that uh, you're down on the one-yard line and you have to settle for a field goal. And then some dude named Dexter Williams, who's barely ever played before, can score on one play from 97 yards. It's ridiculous. I mean, Dexter Williams is a guy who – he's a senior – Coming into this year, he never had more than 39 carries in a season. And then this year, he was suspended for the first four games. And then he comes out and rushes for 160 or so against Stanford, 170, 180 against Virginia Tech, whatever it was. This is like Coleman Fox coming out next year in the month of October and magically in his last year as a senior becoming a 160-yard rusher after the first month of the season. Stuff like that just doesn't happen. But it's happened to Notre Dame. And But you know where it does happen to Virginia Tech basketball. That guy who'll come in who has three three-pointers all year and he makes seven in a game seven against, against the Hokies. Yeah, no doubt about that. <laughs> of course, that's a different topic. <laughs> so we're looking forward to our basketball podcast coming down <laughs> down the road. Uh, we are less than a month and away until the season tips off against Gardner-Webb. Uh, I go back to, I think, actually, I see how that touchdown run really kind of put Virginia Tech in its toughest hole in the game. But I look at the one play that really, to me, was the biggest punch in the gut, and that was the fumble scoop and score because – Keep in mind the fact that Notre Dame hadn't scored since the middle part of the first quarter. I would have been really interested to have seen what adjustments they would have made on offense down by as many as they were at halftime. Tech would have had the lead at halftime mm-hmm. had that fumble scoop and score had not happened. The offense was outplaying Notre Dame's offense in the first half. 
collectively, I think that it's a different ball game if that scoop and score doesn't happen because then that jolts up the defense, the offense has confidence because they're right back in it. They didn't do anything. I look at that as a huge play in that game. Yeah, um, it certainly puts both teams in a different situation, in a different mental situation. You know, you're you're filled with confidence at that point if you're Notre Dame and not so much if you're Virginia Tech, but it could have been the other way around if, if some things in the second quarter had gone differently. Now, that being said um, – Virginia Tech, I don't think they finished the game mentally strong. Um, Notre Dame, they're an experienced team. They would have finished the game mentally strong. You know, I watched the fourth quarter, or at least part of the fourth quarter, of the Notre Dame-Stanford game the week before. And, you know, Notre Dame won that game 38-17, but with like seven or eight minutes, they were only up 24-17. to They closed really, really strong against Stanford, and that's what you see from experienced teams like that. And uh, I still think Notre Dame would have won the game because of their experience, but uh, – if some things had gone differently in the second quarter, then you never know what could have happened. Well, what did you think about Ryan Willis? You know, you look at his career starting at Kansas, transferring in. This was You could make the argument that this was the biggest game of his redshirt junior career so far. On a primetime stage, he throws for over 300 yards. How would you assess the play of QB1? So there's, uh, there's two ways you can talk about this. You can talk about what he did in this game, and you can talk about kind of how he is as a quarterback overall. In this game, um, I wish he had brought the same accuracy to this game as he did the Duke game. The Duke game, he was 17-27 and and threw some beautiful passes. I thought in this game he was a little bit behind the receivers kind of the whole game. They made some catches reaching behind him and slowing down. There was a play nobody talks about where Sean Zavoy was running a – you know, maybe my terminology isn't right. I'm not sure it was exactly a post route. It was more of a deep cross – and he was angled towards the end zone, and he had his man beat. He had position, and if Willis had put it out in front of him, it would have been a touchdown, and he put it behind him. So Savoy had to slow down and reach back, and it got broken up. So within the context of this game, I wish he had been as sharp, as as accurate as he was against Duke. Now, what's getting a lot of talk this week is his emotional mindset, his, his how emotionally involved he gets in the game. I have no problem with that. I like a quarterback with some fire. You have to, of course, Uh, temperate you know you can't have a guy be out of control screaming at people and stuff like that and I'm not saying he's doing that Um, so there's been a lot of talk about that and I like that element Um, you know you gotta and I said in my article this week I said you can't if you go back and look at the fumble scoop and score the play before that Willis on a third and eight had broken out of the pocket there was pressure he broke out of the pocket ran for 11 yards to the sideline to pick up a first down great play right Quite honestly, it's a play Josh Jackson might not make. You can't cheer that play and then criticize him on the next down for essentially trying to do the same thing, trying to get out of there and make something happen. Um, You know, Willis is a guy that – now, I'm not a coach who gets paid $3.5 million a year whose livelihood rides on this stuff, but I know as a fan, I'd rather see a guy who's trying to make things happen. I understand. What you hope is that he makes – two good plays or three good plays for every bad one that he makes and that the bad ones that he make don't hurt too much you know and with his attitude and the way he gets emotionally involved in games what I would like to see and I'd like to see this against Miami if we want to schedule it I would like to see him just get smoking hot one game and just get swept up and just blow up and he has the potential to throw for 400 yards a game he's got such a strong arm Chris yeah he does um I don't want to spend any time talking about his physical talent because I think it's it's well known at this point. Um, I want to talk a little bit about his emotions and uh, and maybe how far along mentally he is in understanding Tech's offense and his decision making and things like that. You know, people want to ask on the goal line, oh, why don't we go under center and things like that? Well, when we ran under center, he got his footwork wrong, ran into Stephen Peoples, and we lost five yards and didn't score, right? What, what we don't know, is, and only Ryan Willis knows this, was he's just so emotionally fired up in his mind that he just wasn't going through the proper mental steps in his head and saying, okay, I'm transitioning from shotgun to under center right here. I've got to get my steps down, blah, blah, blah. Or is, he, or is his mind just filled with – or is he an emotional wreck right there? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Only Ryan Willis knows that. The other play that was down on the goal line, same drive. Eric Kuma goes on motion, not in a jet sweep, but behind the quarterback like it was going to be a triple option play. Um, 
Willis handed it off up the middle. And I, I personally believe that that was just uh, – Brandon Patterson wrote about this yesterday in his article that that was probably just window dressing. Uh-huh. The, the Kuma part of it. Yeah, the, the, the Kuma part of it. Yeah, if, um, you, if you watch Kuma, he's not running full out. You yeah, can tell he not, doesn't he, expect You can tell he wasn't ball. expecting the ball, right. Yeah. So it was one of those things where they wanted to make it look like a triple option, but it really wasn't because I don't feel like Willis is mentally advanced enough to run that type of play right now. Um and those two examples are why probably why Josh Jackson won the starting job to begin with. You can run your whole playbook with Jackson, and when you get down on the one-yard line, apparently you can't do that with, with, with Ryan Willis. Uh, so there are pluses and minuses for both guys. But, I mean, Tech can win games with Ryan Willis. Tech can, get, can win games with Josh Jackson. Honestly, how many games they win this year isn't going to come down to who's going to play quarterback for them. It's going to come down to how much the defense can improve between now and the end of the season. I think both quarterbacks, they have their own strengths and weaknesses, but the main thing is this defense going to improve or is the offense going to have to score 40 points to win games? They are different quarterbacks, though. They can run the same system, but they're tailored differently. And Andrew Allegretta brought it up hosting Tech Talk Live that not only are they – uh, what you talk more about the, their personalities they're very different Josh Jackson in a sense you can compare to coach Fuente in a sense that they pick their moments of when to get really fiery but they're very cool and calm and collected Ryan and I think what we mean by showing his emotions he is just a fiery guy he's gonna get pumped up he's the Kirk Cousins you like that that's the kind of emotion that he plays with and they really are different from that standpoint uh, if, if you Something that I noticed is after he and Stephen Peoples bumped into each other, um, there was a lot of animated uh, yelling back and forth going on between the two of them, you know. And it was there was some of it right after the play, and then there was some of it after the play. They were walking off the field, and Willis was almost all the way off the field, and he stopped and turned around and got engaged with uh, Peoples again, fussing at him. Uh, you know, I, th- I think when, when your average person sees that, they think to themselves, oh, those players are yelling at each other. They're on the same team. No, that kind of stuff goes on in football all the time, you know. And, and I mean, you know, I'm a Dolphins fan from way back, and I used to see Dan Marino yell at his receivers all the time. We've seen players get into fights at Virginia Tech practices in the past. It's yeah. fine. It you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it's not something that anybody's taken personally. You know, it's not like – I, I sincerely doubt that Willis was looking at people saying, you idiot, or anything like that. He's just he says, what are you doing there, man? You're supposed to be going here. And people are like, well, you're supposed to be going there. You know, it's, it's And it's really loud in there. They have to speak up to hear each <laughs> they other. They have to yell. Yeah. <laughs> One of our first questions coming in from our fans for this week's podcast is from David. He wants to know, what are the advantages of running shotgun inside the three-yard line versus under center? Pros and cons for both since my mind with Willis – Willis's size to fall forward each time to get the touchdown. Right, that's a good question. Uh, there are pluses and minuses to it. The pluses are, you know, the defense has so many guys on on the goal line, um, and if you think about it, if you go from under center and you hand the ball off, then you have nine blockers trying to block eleven guys, right? Um, and so that you have to have a really dominant offensive line to excel in those situations. Um, you take away one of those guys by running, you know, zone read plays out of the shotgun because you're reading one of those defenders rather than having to block it. So it's nine guys blocking ten. So it's a numbers thing. And plus, Virginia Tech is just used to running shotgun. You know, I don't know how many plays Virginia Tech ran from under center the other night, but when I know the one that they did run, Ryan Willis messed up the footwork and – Partly that's probably because he's just not used to running plays under center because hardly anybody does it these Well, think days. about it when he was at Kansas. Oh, I'm sure that was all shotgun. Yeah. Well, you know, he was either in shotgun or on his back at Kansas. You know, that's just how it works there. But uh, the, the other side of it is now if you are under center, that means the quarterback sneak is possible. And all those defensive linemen are, are slanting to the inside in that situation. Um, the, you know, they're all they all kind of aim for that point right behind the center, and that's why the toss sweep for Virginia Tech back in the day with Lee Suggs and Kevin Jones and all that was so successful, because you're under center, and you have to respect the quarterback sneak, and so you're diving to the inside to take it out, and all of a sudden you know you're sweeping it outside, and you've got Jared Ferguson lead blocking you, and that's an easy and touchdown. And Lee freaking sucks right, running the right. football. Right, and nobody ever stopped that play against Virginia Tech. Um, 
so that's 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 the advantage that it that it gives to the defense. They don't have to worry about the quarterback sneak. So there's an advantage that it gives to the offense, and there's an advantage that it gives to the defense. And in my mind, they cancel each other out. And neither one is wrong, and neither one is right. It just comes down to coaching preference. And I will say this: Virginia Tech is 35th in the country in in success rate inside the 10-yard line this year. So outside of that particular drive, Virginia Tech's been excellent. Now, what does that mean, touchdown success rate? It's an advanced stat. I don't have it right in front of me. Right. But I'm sure, yeah. Probably uh, points per possession. Points per possession yeah. or something like that or, or yards gained or something like that. So Virginia Tech's been very, very good in that situation this year. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like free throw shooting. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, you, you got to execute. If you go back and look at those plays, you know, and, and Brandon Patterson broke this down for us. There were there were offensive linemen, and on one play, Dalton Keene that got blown up. Yeah. You know, and Notre Dame made the play, and, and Virginia Tech did. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and everybody else had their man blocked on that play. That was an easy touchdown, but Keene missed his block. He just didn't get low enough. And he's a true sophomore. He might not be quite strong enough yet yet either. You know, yeah. uh, but. Uh, it's like it's like you said. It's like it's like free throw shooting. Like you get on our basketball boards after Virginia Tech loses a game because of free throw shooting. They go thirteen of twenty five, and everybody's like, "Do we practice free throws? That's awful." But then the next game, and we've had some games like this where Virginia Tech has gone twenty three of twenty five, and they've won by six points. Nobody wants to nobody get another. Nobody says yeah, a word. Nobody yeah. says a word. So it's like play calling. Uh, you know, people only want to talk about it if, if if they don't score or if the offense is bad or something like that. But, yeah, uh, pe- people always. Uh, I'll write an article, and you know me, I write three thousand, thirty five hundred word articles, sometimes mm-hmm. four thousand words, and they'll say afterwards, "Can't believe you didn't discuss such and such a play call." I don't discuss play calling. You know, I really don't because if it works, by definition, it's a great call. If it doesn't work, by definition, it's a bad call. Right. Now, there are some exceptions. And, and, yeah. and I'm the same way, too. I don't like bringing up play calls either because the coach is coach and their coach is for a reason. And we're, But at the same time, you know, when it gets a lot of people questioning, and that's another thing that Coach Fuente addressed, he was actually happy that the question came up on Tech Talk Live. It's a chance Live. to educate. Yes, right. and, that was, and that's just something I think is the common fan. It's just right. it's not that we're upset. It's just what is the thought process behind that? Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Yeah. So, all right, well, we've got a lot more to discuss here on the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. Wrapping up Notre Dame talks, we will get into North Carolina. Plus, we've got Will Stewart's Twitter uh, song of the week that's in his Twitter bio. We will get to that towards the end of the podcast. Well, it came out after the uh, game that Damon Hazleton was named ACC co-wide receiver of the week. And I think if you're going to take a couple of positives away from Saturday, which there are many, Damon Hazleton has to be one. Uh, He was a go-to target for Ryan Willis, caught the touchdown. He is really developing into a true standout in the ACC. Yeah, he has. You know, he's a big target, and people forget, I think, that he's only a redshirt sophomore, and he will probably get better. That's very cool. Yeah, exactly. And he and Ryan Willis are roommates also. And yeah, so the, I, I didn't really realize that there was some talk. Herb Street on the broadcast the other night said they sat out last year and right. hung out a lot. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about – I didn't know they were roommates, but if you think about it, yeah, they were on the scout team together last year. So that's Ryan Willis to throw into Damon Hazleton every day because, honestly, who else are you going to throw to on the scout team, <laughs> right? <laughs> no offense, guys. No offense. <laughs> but, but, yeah, who are you going to throw to? The, the big guy who's caught 50 passes is a true freshman somewhere else or, or, or the walk-on. And uh, so I think uh, – I think they've got a good they've they've got a good feel for each other, um, and I think the coaches know that. How many catches does Hazelton have now? Twenty seven, I believe. Twenty seven. Okay. Uh, well, it's a shame the ECU game. I hope that, that, that doesn't sound like a lot though. That I yeah I, I don't know. I, excuse me while I look it up I mean, on my you, phone. You yeah, can you look talking. it up on your phone. Uh, I know he scored a touchdown in the, in each of the first five games, which is tied Isaiah. That's four. tied a record. That's yeah. tied Isaiah Ford's record. So if he scores a touchdown against North Carolina on Saturday night, then he breaks that record. Um, I, I forget what Tech's record for catches in a season is. I think it's 76 maybe or something like that. He's not going to break that. But I, I do think he's number he's uh, he's going to be Tech's number one receiver this year by far. Um, yeah, I, he's I, starting to separate. I, yeah, I hope they end up – I hope they end up playing that 12th regular season game. Um, Which it sounds or, like or, – or, or the ACC title game, one or the other. Um, uh, I would have preferred – to do both for, from a from a record standpoint, but yeah, uh, he, he's going to end up catching a lot of passes this year. 
And he's just become one of the more electrifying players to watch. I mean, he just finds a way to get open. And I think you can look to the amount of touchdowns he has on the year. But one thing that really stood out to me in the Notre Dame game is on a lot of third downs, he was open on a lot of slants. And Willis found him, and he was a big reason why Tech was able to move the chains a lot on offense. Yeah, he absolutely was. Uh, I actually would like need to go back and study this maybe, but I think Tech was, what, 10 of 21 on third down? Yes, and, and they uh, were six of sixteen uh, against Duke. Right, and how many of those ten pass, ten third down conversions were passes to Damon Hazelton? I bet uh, at least half of them. Yeah, that I don't know because I didn't study it. So uh, Hazelton is, I was right, twenty-seven catches on the year, four hundred and seventy-nine yards, seventeen point seven per catch, five touchdowns, almost a hundred yards a game. Yeah, you know, so that's after five games. Uh, tech, let's say Tech just plays 11 regular season games. You know, he can end up catching 60 passes. And one thing that's interesting, you know, I, I can remember growing up a Tech fan, a lot of uh, people that I know that are Tech fans have always kind of said that Tech never really has had memorable receivers that go on to do great things in the NFL. Uh, and, I, and I don't necessarily know if I agree with that, but the point I'm trying to make here is that you look at the last – the last five to seven years, okay? So you got your Danny Coles, Jared Boykins at the beginning of that. But the last three years of Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, and now Hazleton, I mean, those are three really high-quality wide receivers in college yeah. football. I think Tech has generally, except for a few years, generally had good wide receivers. I think the fact that they ran a limited passing game to a certain extent and those receivers didn't catch that many passes, uh, you know, that that's a reason maybe they aren't as remembered. I mean Andre Davis, my God, that right. guy was, that guy has elite speed. Even by NFL standards, he had elite speed when he was in the NFL, and he never caught more than thirty-five passes at Virginia uh, Tech. It was not that many passes. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. Antonio Freeman, he played in the NFL for a long time. At one point, he was the he was the NFL's highest paid receiver. He was a great player, and I don't think he ever caught more than thirty-five passes or so. Um, I, I just, it wasn't until. You got into the mid-2000s when Virginia Tech started throwing the ball more that you saw a leading Tech receiver catch more than 40 or 45 passes or so in a season or something like that. Another big storyline that came out of the Virginia Tech football world this week, Devin Hunter will redshirt the remainder of the 2018 season. Of course, Hunter, one of the big recruits that Justin Fuente has signed in his tenure here at Virginia Tech. Of course, again, a, a standout high school career, a five-star recruit. Uh, so that will make him a redshirt sophomore going into 2019. Chris, what did you think of the initial – what were your initial reactions of the redshirting? Well, I was happy with it. Um, you know, he played last year as a true freshman because, you know, one of the things coaches have to do, they have to project improvement. They, they have to say, okay, when we make this decision on whether to play a guy or not, we're only going to play him if we think he's going to be this good by this week in the season and things like that. So you make that projection for Devin Hunter – and then he doesn't achieve that mark, and you feel like it's a wasted wasted season, and you should have redshirted him and things like that. But even then, still, oh, okay, that's fine, because he's going to get better in the in the offseason. And, you know, he, he really hasn't from his coverage standpoint. And uh, I think it's frustrating to him. It's obviously frustrating the, the fan base to a certain extent. So, you know, I think it's time to pump the brakes on him and, and take the pressure off of him and uh, redshirt him, get him out of the limelight to a certain extent. And, and let him develop slowly. Um, I, I don't know if keeping him at whip or putting him back on the scout team and running somebody else's defense and just letting him focus on the basics, I, I don't know which one of those things is, is the best move for him. But uh, I expect he's going to continue to be involved in Tech's defense even while he redshirts because, you know, the, the, there's so much youth in the th- secondary. If they're another injury or two, they might need him again, quite frankly. So... We'll see how it goes, but I think it's the right decision, and it's and it's the fact that they make this decision shows that the staff is still high on him, because if they had no confidence that he was ever going to be able to do anything, they wouldn't redshirt him. They 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 would be like, okay, let's get his eligibility expired as as quickly as possible. They'd, right? They'd keep playing him, then they'd have that discussion in the spring. Right. You know, someone you're you maybe you want you want to go somewhere else. Right. For your yeah. You don't think you're not. Right now, we don't think you can play here. Things like that. But uh, they haven't done that. Um, I, I think right now they're focusing him staying on defense. I also think there's a chance that. If if they feel like he's a better fit at tailback, that that could possibly happen. Um, 
they certainly haven't decided to do that yet. And for now, he's a defensive back, and they're certainly going to keep him there this year, just in case they need to pull the red shirt and put him back on defense if, if certain players get hurt. But uh, but it, whatever position he ends up, I'm glad he's red shirting because he's a he's a talented guy, and it, and it, and it gives him. Uh, it gives him a better opportunity to, to reach his full potential. So in the discussion about the four-game redshirt rule, you know, Devin's played in four games. Um, all the preseason discussion about the redshirt rule was was playing young guys. When are you going to play? You're going to play the young guys early in the season to see if they're ready, or are you going to maybe wait till later in the season? There was no discussion of a situation like this mm-hmm. where you've got a guy who's already in your playing rotation and it gives you an opportunity, if you don't like where he is developmentally, to shut him down and preserve a year. Well, that's because, remember, they weren't even sure by the wording of the law whether the rule applied to, to just freshmen or, or to all players. Yeah. They weren't quite sure. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that, like, Jeremy Webb could be back by the bowl game. I mean, I saw that guy walking in August without crutches or, or anything. Um so if he was back and played in the ball game, then he could still redshirt this year, and, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he could be ready to play in late November. Who knows? You know? Yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, but but that that's what caused us to ask the question then, because we're sitting there looking, thinking Jeremy Webb, he's a fast healer, right? But is he eligible for the red, that redshirt because he's not a freshman? Well, apparently, non-freshmen are eligible. Yeah. Devin Hunter did take to Twitter last night, and he said, "It's a decision I had to make for my future and family. I'm just going to leave it at that." And he also went on to say, it was my decision, no one else's. Right. I read that and I thought, what are you transferring? I mean, I knew he, I even knew he was redshirting, but the way he phrased it, yeah. he wasn't specific. And somebody in that thread actually said, uh, are you talking about the redshirt or are you, are you transferring? No, it's a redshirt. He's not, as far as we know, he's not going to transfer. One more comment about that is that, you know, I, I thought the, the low point for him was the um, ODU game. Uh, a lot of guys had their low point in that game. <laughs> yes. And, and that's, that's when they really started not playing him as much, I thought, on defense. And I watched him, and he stayed engaged, and he stayed excited, and that's good to see. They've complimented his work ethic. And I, I think he's – I don't – it would surprise me very much as if, if this led to some sort of separation between Devin Hunter and Virginia Tech football program. I don't think that's what this is. I, I think it's all – it is what you see. There's nothing else to it. Without going into great detail, there have been a, a few busts in the past, for some highly touted recruits that didn't pan out, and a lot of that was due to their own shortcomings or their, their own work ethic and their own attitude and things like that. Uh, that's not the case with, with, with Devin Hunter. I mean, he, he's a guy, Fuente has described him as working like a walk-on before. Um, so he's a hard-working guy. He's a good guy. Uh He's a team guy. You can see the way he interacts with his teammates. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you want to criticize him uh, and his development in pass coverage, you know, that's fine. But just, you know, be easy because he's uh, he, he's he's Virginia Tech through and through. Uh, yeah. Unlike some of, the, some of the other guys we've had in similar positions in the past. I'm actually lucky enough. I had class with him last year and got to know him. And uh, he is a really, really nice guy. Mm. And someone you wouldn't think that – you know, he acts like he's this five-star recruit coming right. in as the guy. Really, really good person. So I know I'll be cheering on Devin Hunter the rest of his career. Just personally, he's a great guy. And honestly, that's why Tech got him. And, and these days, <laughs> uh, seriously, I mean, these days you see many, you see so many of these top fifty guys, and there's a lot of attitude there, and the way they, you can tell it by the way they handle their recruitment. And I just, I don't, I don't know how many of those guys are, are. I don't, I don't think those guys are personality fits with the Tech coaching staff for, for the most part, to be quite honest with you. That's, that's um, but, a but nice Devin way Hunter to phrase is, it. Yeah. Well, moving on from Devin Hunter and the kind of the news that came into this week to what we'll be talking about on the podcast next week. Virginia Tech, North Carolina, uh, back in the state of North Carolina where Coach Fuente is undefeated in his Virginia Tech head coaching career <laughs> yes. in that state. Yes, uh, they recruit well in the state of North Carolina. I believe the number is 13 players are going to be going back to their home state for this game. And if you look at the coastal opponents that Fuente has faced now in two and a half years at the helm, the team he has had the most success with numbers-wise is North Carolina, 34-3 and 59-7. I was really mad when they scored that touchdown last year. At what point in the game was that? Do you remember? That was in the third quarter because the starting defense was still in. Wow. Yeah. Can, you, I, can we expect a similar blowout <laughs> this weekend? I would be surprised if it was if it was that bad. I, I think on, 
all the arrows point to Virginia Tech winning if you study both teams closely. But, you know, North Carolina's got a big play guy and Ratliff Williams, who's a very good player at wide receiver. Uh, their offense is obviously better when they're not turning the ball over, but their quarterback play has just, just been so awful this year. Between Nathan Elliott, they finally brought Chaz Surratt, Surratt back off suspension, and he goes 4 of 10 for 10 yards with three interceptions. Against Miami. Lots of turnover chains. I mean, that's like a nine-year-old <laughs> trying to play Madden on the highest level. I mean, that's just that's just awful. Um, and and they had six total turnovers in that game. I mean, if you're Larry Fedora at this point, how do you choose? I mean, both those guys are terrible. As a as a uh, as a team, what are their statistics? Uh, excuse me, as a quarterback unit. Um, do you know off the top of your head? It's uh, I think it's three touchdowns and seven, seven interceptions. interceptions? Yeah, yeah, my gosh, that's a bad ratio. I mean, even AJ Bush did better than that in. in in junior college. You want to take a side note on A.J. Bush. You look at the numbers he's putting up for Illinois right now. He's oh, not is he doing back? I know he, he got hurt. Is he's he back in well. the playing rotation I, now? I, yeah, he started. I, oh, I, at least he played a good I think he had just under 100 yards passing, but he had like 161 on the ground. I mean, oh, it, he can run. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I mean, he. I think Illinois has a chance to actually go 6-6, six and six, and for those standards, that'd be great to see them in a bowl yeah, game. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but looking at the Tar Heels, you know, this is a program that just a couple of years ago was in the ACC championship and a controversial onside kick. I mean, they had a chance yeah. to to yeah. beat Clemson in that game. Is this potentially the last time Fuente and Larry Fedora will, squ- will square well, off? Well, didn't I think they gave him a contract extension in 2017 through 2022? I think it real early last I, year. Right? I read yeah. that the buyout is something like 14 million dollars. If, if, I've, if I've got my, you know, I read a lot of stuff, I'm pretty sure I was specifically checking into his buyout, and I'm pretty sure it's 14 Well, they just spent $21 million on legal fees. I think if they really want to buy them out, they can probably do it. But do they want to? Is it worth it? Because, you know, as a whole, let's face it, their fan base doesn't care about football. And you're going to spend $14 million on something your fan base doesn't care about. So we'll see. Now, if you do it, it'll harm recruiting because everybody knows he's a lame duck guy. Either if it's not this year, then next year, right? So that'll harm recruiting for another year, which makes the next guy's and, job and, and at more one point, difficult. At one point in time, he was a very good recruiter, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. When they had Ryan Switzer and a coming again three years ago, North Carolina's a top twenty-five team. Yeah, Switzer was a good player. He's a West Virginia guy too. And who, by, by the way, to add some context here, they're one and three, one and one in the ACC. And that was with the cancellation of a game against UCF that they, they probably would have lost. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, they beat Pitt, which was kind of surprising. Um, got blown out by East Carolina, which was very surprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they played pretty well against Cal. Uh, they, actually, they actually outgained Cal and lit, limited them to like 270-some yards. But, you know, I think they had two or three turnovers in that game, and, and that ended up costing them the ball game. Now, they'll have a chance against Virginia Tech if they can go out there and not turn the football over. Yeah, their defense is not terrible. It's not as bad as it was. It's very mediocre now is how I would describe it. Extremely <laughs> mediocre, but not awful like it has been in the past. So I was thinking about this on the way over here to record this podcast. If you look back at a couple of meetings between Tech and UNC, I think from like a stretch of 07 to 11, there were some really good games in this series. I can remember one where I went to Chapel Hill. It was an elementary school. TJ Yates was the quarterback, mm-hmm. and I think UNC was up 17-3 to at halftime. And Tech came out. I think it was maybe Eddie Royal's senior year. Uh, but Tech came back and won, like I think, like 24-21 to in Chapel Hill. And then maybe not on the best end. I remember one. It was like fourth and one, and Ryan Williams needed one yard, and Tech got stonewalled. And so actually, what happened is Williams fumbled. That's and what it was. It, I think it was a, it was tied at seventeen all. Virginia Tech's got the ball for what? We were fairly close to midfield too. Right? It, it was going to be a long drive, you know. And Ryan Williams fumbled, and uh, UNC was a was a very physical team at that point in time. They had Ryan Houston at, at tailback. They had a very physical defense loaded with future NFL players or NFL caliber players. And they just methodically pounded the ball down the field and kicked a field goal at the uh, 
at the final gun. That was 2009, I believe, if I remember correctly. That was. That was when they were at their height of players that eventually got them put on probation with the yeah. street agents and John Blake and yeah. everything like that. So they weren't exactly – So they we'll won put it that this way. Butch Davis coached them. Yeah. They, they, they won that one. Tech won in 2010 and 2011, and then UNC won in 2012. So there was a four-year stretch where this, this series was even. Other than mm-hmm. that, it has not been even. Yep. Yep. I was just reminiscing on some great matchups in the past between the two. All right, Chris Coleman, if Tech wants to – Improve in a couple areas. Notre Dame game to North Carolina. What are you looking for? Uh, zone coverage for sure. Uh, zone coverage is really hard for young defensive backs, but you put all young defensive backs on the field, and it really you see that problem multiply. Um, it's not not so much knowing what to do in your zone. It's knowing understanding spacing between yourself and the defender next to you and, and passing a defender from one zone to the next or whether that guy's going to pass a defender to you. It's just so, so many little complicated things that they don't get taught in high school because they don't have to be taught in high school. And the game's not that fast in high school compared to college. Uh, so that, that's something that, that is a work in progress for Virginia Tech. It probably will be a work in progress all season, uh, to be quite honest. But if I could put my finger – on one thing about this team and improve it overnight, that would be it. I wonder if we'll see a three-man rush and eight guys in coverage. Yeah, they did that some against Notre Dame, and Ian Book just threw around the defensive end. Yeah, he was that, really that, accurate on those passes around Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, so, I, I wonder well, 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 we'll see. This is a different uh, – obviously a much different quarterback – well, or quarterbacks that the, that they'll be facing this week. So you've studied them, and their their run defense is not very good, right? It's awful. Yeah, yeah. giving up a couple hundred yards a game. Yeah. So we'll see what Virginia Tech decides to do offensively. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know that Tech has a whole lot to work on their, offensively. Just keep doing what you're doing and get better at. Their it. best defensive end, Malik Carney, is supposed to be out. Yeah, he's, right. our, he's our last suspended player for their offseason shoe fiasco, and he's a guy that has. Five and a half tackles for loss in, in two games this year. So he he's a real, he's, he could be a real impact that's guy. A so that's loss. a big loss for them. All right, we're going to introduce a new segment I'm going to do this week. We're going to play some over-under. Over-under okay. with Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Over-under, 34 and a half points for Tech. Oh, man. I picked 34 to 17 in my preview. So I guess I have to say under. But that's a, that's a good one, though, Evan. I like it. I'm going over. you got to keep track of these. All right. I'm so right now. He picks under, I pick over. I'm going over as well. Over under 350 passing yards for Tech. Under. I, I think they'll really focus on the run game. I mean, not to say that they won't throw the ball, but uh, I think they'll identify the, the weakness of UNC's defense is rush defense, and we'll see a heavy load of Stephen Peoples and Deshaun McLeese. Under. Same reasoning. Over under 150. Over under 150 rushing yards for Virginia Tech on the ground. I'm going to go over. Since we've already differed on one, I'm going to agree with him and go over. <laughs> over under three takeaways on defense for the lunch pail. Oh, man. Uh, over under three. Nah, man, you got to set it at a half or something. All right, three and a half. Could, three, you're right. I, yeah, you're right. I three and a half? Uh, no, I don't you, know. you got to do two and a half. Do I'd two set it at two and a half. That's yeah. a lot okay, more difficult. Okay, all right, two and a half, two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, under. I'm going to go over. If he if he dares to throw it anywhere near Reggie Floyd, maybe even Khalil Adler. I mean, these guys are turnover machines, man. I'm going to go ahead and go over. Over, under. Two field goals made for Virginia Tech. And keep in mind, this is coming over, off a week over where under two. I see. I had it thirty-four to seventeen, so that means I've got it right at two. Field see, goals. so pick pick Evan one and a half or two and a half. We'll go two and a half. We'll go, I'll go under that. Definitely under. Yeah. Okay. All right, there we go. All right, so we'll we'll take a look at this at the end. I've got it written down right in front of me. I like this segment. We'll have to keep this up uh, going. I I, I had, had that plan for this week's podcast. I like it. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's roll some predictions. Will. So, usually I like to make my predictions without knowing what Chris's prediction is. He's already picked 34-17. I'm going to amp it up from there and go 42-20. to 20. That works, that's cranking it. That's cranking it way up. That, 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 that works for me, too. Um, the weather's supposed to be good, by the way. Well, yeah, I know. I know. It is supposed to be really nice. No, it was really nice last year, and Virginia Tech steamrolled them. It was really bad two years ago, and, and Virginia, Virginia Tech, Tech steamrolled them. them. So, uh, I don't know. Um, 
I expect to be there be there to be a lot of Virginia Tech fans down there. Uh, Tech is so young that you don't never know exactly what a young team is going to do. Um, but and you know, seventeen points might be low. I mean, honestly, you could see the upset happening, right? I mean, if Old Dominion can beat Tech, then North Carolina can beat Tech. I could also see Tech winning this game by like thirty or thirty-five oh, points, fifty-nine to seven. Right? Something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. So, I don't know. So, 34-17 sounds fine to me. So, my last two predictions I've had to make on a, on a pregame show in here. I said 31-21, I took Duke. I took Notre Dame 31-16. I'm going 48-17 Tech. I think Virginia Tech, the floodgates open okay. on offense. And I in the re, with the track record against North Carolina, something tells me this is going to be a blowout. Well, you know, at one point during the Notre Dame game, it was 31-16. It was 31-16. Yeah. So you were probably looking I'm sorry. up there like, all right. I said 31-17. I'm uh, sorry. That's what it was. I was one point off. Okay. My bad. There we go. But Tip- it's still close enough. Typically for a blowout like what you're describing, and I kind of sort of picked it 42-20, to 20, there have to be uh, – you look at last year's game, 59-7, to seven, that included a Greg Stroman punt return for a touchdown. A fumble return a for Ricky a touchdown. A Ricky Walker fumble return for a touchdown. Virginia Tech is not uh, making those kind of plays so far this year. So it's unlikely from that – if you just view it, through that, view it through that lens, it's unlikely that they'll blow UNC out like that. So we'll see how it goes. We will see. We've got our predictions written down right here on this sheet of paper. And, uh, by the way, don't forget to tweet at us this week for your mailbag, your fan questions. We want to hear from you for what you think about the game. We only had two this week. We got to one. The other uh, fan question, and it wasn't really a a question. It was just more of a statement. Uh, It was from Brian. He goes, is the sky falling? Just kidding. Look forward to a a good ground perspective. So, good news, Brian. It was pouring rain earlier today, so maybe maybe (laughs) it it was falling here to a certain extent. But... Tackle, tackle will be fine if they stay the course. I mean, they've, they've got to get some guys to, to grow up and everything like that. But, you know, we knew that coming into the season. We just didn't know exactly when or how the youth issues would manifest themselves. But, uh, but now we know. All right, going back to Twitter because I forgot to lead off the podcast with this. we got to take a look at Will's Twitter bio. With the song lyric, I ain't first class, but I ain't white trash. Early 90s country. We'll, uh, we'll give everybody like 10 seconds to think about it here because normally give you the, the start and then sing it to yourself. I know if you listen to country music, you recognize it. Um, so I like to tell stories about the lyrics every week. There really is no story here. That's, that's from an uh, early 90s song by Sawyer Brown called uh, Some Girls Do. And the full lyric is, Oh, I, I know that song. Yeah, I ain't yeah. first class, but I ain't white trash. I'm wild and a little crazy too. Some girls don't like boys like me, but some girls do. Yeah, it's a good I, I song. I do know that song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is yeah. flashing back. Chris was born in '83, so he's probably about ten years old when that song was popular. Yeah. Um, so the the reason I landed on that song lyric is I've got a thumb drive in my car which has several thousand songs on it, and I'm listening to them in alphabetical order. So last week's song was "Somewhere in America There's a Street Named After My Dad," and then the title of that song is "Some Girls Do." So it was like th- these songs were back to back. I could literally fill a year's worth of podcasts with was not was lyrics because they have some really cool and in- interesting lyrics. But so then I, I, I got to thinking about that. And then some girls do came on and I'm like, well, the next week has to be I ain't first class, but I ain't white trash. And we'll have another one next week. That means we'll be leading off next week's podcast with that song. That is correct. We've got to figure out what part of, part of the uh, song to pluck 15, minutes, 15 seconds of music from. Well, as always, TechSideline.com has the best content regarding, regarding Virginia Tech athletics. Chris, what's going on this week on the website? What can we, uh, what can we look forward to? I can't wait to read your preview here once we sign yeah, off. Um, game preview, Friday Q&A coming up on Friday, and some more recruiting stuff from Jason Stane. And, you know, if, if you're not a subscriber, I, I heartily encourage you to subscribe. Throw down eight and a half bucks. That will get you a month. And this is the best time of year to be doing that. We've got analysis articles from Eric Carr and Brandon Patterson. We run Brandon, Pat- Brandon Patterson every week, a couple times a week. Um, and, and to put this in perspective, I don't know exactly Brandon's background, but Eric Carr, when he was in college at Tech, was a, was a student assistant on the Virginia Tech's defense. He had a headset on the sideline. It was his job to relay the defensive personnel uh, formations into the Tech defense. So he was kind of the, the go-between between Bud Foster and Vince Hall mm. as far as the play calling goes and things like that. 
So, and now he's writing analysis articles on Virginia Tech football for us. So, so this is a guy who knows the Tech defense inside and out. Yeah. And, and Brandon Patterson is just a football egghead. I mean, he knows his stuff. I, I don't know what his playing background is. But what I like about both guys is um, they, don't, they don't wear you out with technology or super long articles. You know, they break it down for you in terms you can really understand, and they show you things you may not have seen. Like, I didn't have the appetite to go back and watch that goal line stand, but it was Brandon <laughs> that pointed out, you know, the – the keen block on the one play. And I think it was Brandon that also pointed out, or I can give Chris Coleman credit for this. I'm not sure which no, of them. Sweep, or yeah, the, the sweep. The option. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Brandon. Yeah. You know, that's that's excellent insight. I will find myself getting lost with time on techsideline.com. There's just so much to look at, whether it's videos or articles or the, the, the message boards. And by the way, i got to give credit to the – this is the first time I've really been engaged in a message board before in my lifetime – I mean, you've got people commenting at like 11.45 at night to 8 a.m. in the morning. It is nonstop. You can find yourself getting lost in that stuff. you got a big user base, that's for sure. Man, you should have been there back in the day before social media came along and message boards were social media. The day that Marcus Vick got kicked out of Virginia Tech, <laughs> oh, our football board alone, this is one board and a whole system of boards, our football board alone had 5,000 posts that day. My God. So do the math, you know, divide by 24 hours and – so that was the free football board, and I'm sure we had another two or 3,000 over on the subscriber board. It doesn't churn like that anymore because, you know, everybody's so spread out. But it, it's still, uh, if you check it on a regular basis, there's all kinds. Of, so, like, these days, for instance, across our board system, we are getting anywhere from, uh, let me do the math in my head, uh, two posts a minute, you know, two or three a minute. So there's always something to look at. And uh, we've got a neat notification system where if you comment and people respond to you or, you know, it works like any other form of social media. If somebody interacts with you, responds, likes something, you get a notification about it. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Looking forward to talking more tech football next week. Gentlemen, thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. <laughs>